Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com because you won't find us on Google or Facebook. We respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Dr. Mercola, welcome to the stage. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a pleasure and absolute privilege to be back again at this event. Now, I want to address the elephant in the room. Because some other things have happened since the last event that actually caused the last year to be canceled and to move the event from California to Florida. Which is good for me because I drive 90 minutes away from home. I love that. But the obvious elephant in the room has been the most significant propaganda event, most serious propaganda event ever managed in the history of the human race that has resulted in a massive global psychosis. So much so that people that you love and respect, many of them, have drunk the Kool-Aid. They've been confused and brainwashed. And they can't see clear truth at all, even though the evidence is irrefutable. So what's one of the reasons I'm so grateful to be in a community like this, where you get it. You have no idea. You guys are a minority. So thank you for sticking up for what you believe. The only way you can successfully implement a, comp a propaganda campaign of this magnitude that has never been done in the history of the world before is by massive censorship and discrediting campaigns. So, uh, and I'm going to give you some examples of that. <laughs> Actually, the, I'm sure most of you have read the book, George L. World, 1984. So, we have the classic, we have the classic implementation of the Orwellian doublespeak. Up is down. Right is left. Black is white. Almost everything the mainstream media is telling you about this pandemic is the exact opposite of the truth. That's why I am so honored to have seen this in July when I'm reading my daily newsletter from Review of the News from the New York Times 
the most respectable paper in the world. (laughs) And they identified me as the most influential spreader of the truth about COVID-19. That has been my biggest award in life. Now, we can roll this video. I'm going to turn this We back. spotted Joseph Mercola riding CNN his bicycle. CNN wanted to get in the play. We thought this was our opening to get some answers as to why they didn't spot me. They staked me at my house. The vaccine. How are you? I'm Randy Kay with CNN. Can we ask you a couple questions? <laughs> we just want to talk to you about vaccines and what you've been saying about them. Do you feel responsible for people who didn't get vaccinated, possibly got sick and died because of what you told them about the vaccines? What do you say to families who lost loved ones? Are you spreading misinformation? Why won't you speak to us? (laughs) I would have loved to engage in a two-hour diatribe with this woman. And I somewhat regret having that at least faced her and said, listen, I'd love to discuss this with you, but you aren't wearing a mask. (laughs) So it's all bad, right? Oh my gosh, all this discrediting going on. Well, not really. (laughs) Because the later part of that segment, they said, and he wrote a book. And the book is the number one best-selling book on Amazon. But we're not going to tell you the name of it. (laughs) Didn't matter. People aren't stupid. That book was number one on the entire Amazon site for four days in a row. And it's actually the 17th book I've written. I wrote one book a year for the last 17 years, on average. And it's the best-selling book we've ever had. We think we've sold half a million copies already. So it's not that we're writing books for revenue. It's, it's a tool, a mechanism to get the truth out to more and more people. And it really is a well-done book. So I'm very grateful for them. And interestingly, our sales continue to climb because last week, Elizabeth Warren decided that write a letter to the CEO of Amazon and say, they should, they, should ban, they should burn this book. So that helped a lot too. <laughs> now, things are pretty bad right now. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. The bad news is going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Last week, we had President Biden issue an executive order, unconstitutional, to provide vaccines for mandated for every company in the U.S. over the over 100 employees. Probably we will overturn, but they might be able to pull it off. And we know later this year, they are going to approve the vaccine for infants. The COVID jab for infants. 
And more than likely, they're going to be, have vaccine passports. You will not be able to travel without a vaccine or a COVID jab. It's not a vaccine. It's an injection. It's gene therapy. And we probably will have social credit card, social credit score system similar to China. So it's going to get worse. No question, it's going to get worse. But I can tell you with the highest degree of confidence and authority, ultimately, we win. No doubt about it. Now, I've been threatened, which is, if you saw me, you've seen me walking around, I have had <coughs> required the use of personal security. I had to take down 15,000 articles on my site over the last 24 years. And we have to, we have what I call the ephemeral articles now. They're only up for 48 hours. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of threats out there. But we will win. We will win. So one of the ways that we're going to win is by paying attention to the basics. You've got to stay healthy. So I want to remind you some basic things, and I want to show you something to inspire and activate action in your lives. So one of them is to understand that vitamin D is really important, not only for infections, but for a variety of other things. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Now, this, look at the red line, and the y-axis is the death rate, and the x-axis, the horizontal axis, is the, the level of vitamin D. So as you can see, when it gets down to about 17, these are nanograms per milliliters of, of vitamin D levels, the death rate is like 100% in this population, 100%. And you can see what happens pretty dramatically as it goes to even relative, we consider relatively subtherapeutic levels of, of 35. The death rate almost disappears. Now, another subset of of study is equally impressive and that the two bar graphs on the left are represent severe and critical um, COVID cases and they examine the vitamin D levels in those populations and four, 96% had low vitamin D levels, 96%. And you go to the right side and those are the people who had really mild cases 96 for them had high vitamin D levels. So I'm from Chicago, although I live in Florida now. But you know what we call that, call that in Chicago? We call that a clue. <laughs> That's why I wrote a paper, my first paper this century. Actually, I used to write a lot of papers last century. But I said, this is so important. We've got to write a review. So I wrote a review, and it was in uh, Nutrients, the journal. It's peer-reviewed. Uh, it's on PubMed. So if you copy the title of that study, peer-reviewed study, you will get a free copy of it. It goes into all the technical details of why vitamin D is useful in situations like this. Now, it's not just good for infections. And in fact, if you look at this slide, these, this lists a wide variety of the other benefits of vitamin D. So you have got to be irrational and maybe propagandized not to avail yourself to this threat strategy. 
And what is that? That is to get your vitamin D levels normal. The vitamin D level should be 60 to 80 nanograms per milliliter. And if you're coming here from overseas or Canada, that is 100 to 150 nanomoles per liter. They use a different index over there. So if you like me and haven't taken vitamin D in 10 or 15 years, and my levels are these levels because I'm in the sun every day, pretty much every day, except when I'm traveling. So if you're not able to do that, then you're going to want to need to take about 8,000 units. So the key here, though, is it's okay to have this knowledge. It's nice and hopefully inspiring, but you have to implement this. So I want everyone to stand up. Stand up. And if you've had your vitamin D tested, is that you, Carlin? Oh, my God, you are front and center. Uh, um, if you've had your vitamin D tested in the last year, sit down. Okay. So for those who are remaining standing, you have an opportunity to know what it is. Because the only way, the only way you will know if your vitamin D level is correct is to measure it in your blood. So that's one thing. You got to get that thing. Now, this, the other powerful intervention is to understand that exercise is unbelievable. Very few people in the regular population understand this. So I have a little video I want to run for you because it shows that I had a personal PR this year. At the age of 67, I was able to deadlift 400 pounds. No way! Roll that video. Come on, 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 come on. Slowly down. Yes, come on. Slowly. There you go. Control. The floor touch the floor. Good. Enough. Enough. Yes. Yes. Now, I am not telling you you need to tell 400 pounds. No one needs to do that. But it's a, it's, it was to me, it was a personal goal because I was a knucklehead runner for four decades and didn't understand the importance of resistance training. But resistance training is absolutely crucial. As you age, and hopefully all of us have a goal of at least being a centenarian. I know Dave is like 180 or so. But there's a study that was published two weeks ago that shows that if you are a centenarian, 95% of centenarians are frail. They're sarcopenic. The way to prevent, you do not want to be frail. Both of my parents died from frailty. They inspired me to avoid that circumstance. So you need resistance training. The best type of resistance training I know of is something called blood flow restriction training. The blood flow restriction training was developed by a professor, Sato, out of Japan and was introduced into the, U the U.S. in 2010 and it is the most profound intervention that I know in exercise. It's basically essentially blood flow restriction cups that are put on your arms and your legs, not at the same time, and it essentially inflates and constricts things so that you can perform these low, low weight, high repetition that will cause changes to hormonal changes like vascular endothelial growth factor, which is fertilizer for your 
a vascular tree. And one of the reasons why those centenarians were frail is because they, the, the, the microcirculation to their satellite stem cells and their muscles was just not there. So even if they were doing resistance training, they couldn't build it up. So that allows you to do it. Uh, and it also increases things like lactic acid. And it, it's a myostatin, uh, which is a negative inhibitor of muscle growth. So it's amazing. So the ultimate, the Cadillac or the Tesla of, of uh, the blood flow restriction devices would be Katsu, K-A-T-S-U. They have a booth here. It's kind of pricey, but it is the best on the market. It's about $1,000. Um, if you don't want, if you just want to put your toe in the water, then, they, then you can get a $15 band on Amazon to, to put on your arms. And you can do it. And I've got, you can go to BitChute, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E. And if you type in blood flow restriction and my name, you'll get two videos because you're not going to find them on my site anymore. Imagine that. So the other strategy other than exercise that you can use is what you see up there, which is called time-restricted eating would be the most accurate description, uh, where you're decreasing your eating window. Some people call it intermittent fasting, but that's not really accurate. Um, the data shows from Sachin Panda, uh, he's done extensive studies on this, that 95% of the people eat more than 12 hours a day. So a simple, simple hack is to reduce that window to six to eight hours. Now, some people take it extremes and they do something called OMAD or one meal a day, which I think is a bit too much for most people. I think six to eight is probably the sweet spot for most of us. And it doesn't cost you anything. In fact, you probably save money. So the key point here is to remember, get that six to eight hour window and stop eating three to four hours before bed. That is the reference for the 95% of centenarians are frail. And this is a picture of Dr. Lee, Dr. Sato, who is in this picture in her 70s. And from what I understand is 19 inch biceps. And which is, I mean, I've struggled to get 15 inch biceps. I'm hopefully get to 16 or 17 one of these days. But uh, it's impressive. And you can't, let me tell you what this is. So low weight, high reps, only 15 to 20 minutes a day. Shoot, you can find more information in some videos like in interviews I've done. But it is a powerful, powerful intervention. Even if you don't do it for yourself, do it for your parents because you do not want to see them become frail and die. So this works on microcirculation, as I mentioned with some of the other. Uh, this is intriguing because... I became really interested in NAD, primarily from the work of Sinclair. And I was with uh, David two weeks ago in Boston. He was giving a presentation to our Da Vinci 50 group. And, he, and he's done the pivotal. I mean, NAD has been, of course, is a micronutrient, not a micronutrient, but a biomolecule more properly that has been known since 1905. With Sir Arthur Hayden de, 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 de designed it. It's primarily known for its participation if we went to school in the, in the 20th century in the electron transport chain as uh, transfers, uh, facilitating the, the conduction of electrons through to create energy and ATP. But Sinclair figured out in the 90s, late 90s, when he was at MIT in Garanti's lab, that NAT is also really important for fuel for the sirtuins, which are longevity proteins. So it's got, he, he really popularized it quite well. 
And most of us are, take, are concerned about this and taking any day precursors. And I have literally read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles. And I'm very proficient in the literature of NAD that I can talk really well with most of the NAD researchers. I'm just passionate about this because Sinclair convinced me. Um, so I want to talk about the best way to increase NAD. So what is it? What is the best precursor? Is it NAD plus? Is it NMN, nicotinamide mononucleotide, or NR, nicotinamide riboside? Which one do you think it is? Or is it niacin? Which one? What's the consensus? Probably is NAD plus, the real thing. It's hard to get. It's very expensive. If you're just going to take a simple precursor, it's probably NMN rather than NR. But here's the trick. If you swallow these molecules, you can't swallow really NAD plus. It's just too unstable. But if you swallow them, your liver is designed to metabolize 95% of it and toss a methyl group on it. So you're making lots of NAD in the liver. It's not really going systemically. There's still some benefits, though. And Dave was great in interviewing Nicola Condon about NAD not, not too long ago. And I had a chance to call her. He connected me with her. Delightful woman. She's a researcher from Big Pharma and really studied NAD very deeply and um, has a supplement that's designed to increase it from a different mechanism. My contention is that... When you take the, even if you take transrectal NAD, which is probably the most cost-effective way to take it, you could do it as an IV, but it's going to be hundreds of dollars, if not a thousand dollars. But you can get an NAD as a transrectal suppository, and that's the best way to take the supplements, the precursors too. You're going to maybe get a two to three-fold increase. That's it, two to three-fold. If you do exercise like the blood flow restriction training, intense resistance exercise, you will increase NAMPT, which is the rate-limiting enzyme to make NAD. You can increase the NAD levels by 20 to 30 times. So I think you should have, of course, your minimum of niacin. You need about 25 milligrams a day at least of niacin. And you can do a check on a nutrient analyzer to make sure you get enough of your diet. If you're not, then you're going to want to seriously consider taking the supplement. Okay. Interestingly, this week or earlier this week, Peter Atia, who's a pretty smart guy, does anyone see his interview this week? It was really, I mean, I've, it was one of the best anti-aging interviews I've seen in a long, long time. He interviewed this guy, Matt Camberlin, who's a PhD, and they talked about uh, rapamycin. But what's interesting was that Peter Atia, supposedly anti-aging longevity health expert, guess what? He was sporting a nice pair of AirPods, <laughs> putting radio frequency Bluetooth signals right into his brain. So that's not something you want to do because we're going to talk about that in the next session, EMFs. But anyway, if you haven't seen this, I would encourage you to look at it. And the reason I'm posting it here is... Matt mentioned two things that I thought was interesting. It, it reminded me that I've kind of missed the boat on rapamycin, part, primarily because I'm such, so strongly opposed to drug interventions. I am so prejudiced against drugs. So, and then, you know, so a lot of people are taking metformin. Hopefully no one is foolish enough here to be doing that because there's no reason in hell you need to take metformin. 
I'm confident of that. And I thought the same was true for rapamycin, but I don't think so. I think this may be probably one of the smartest interventions around. The dose is small. It's, they were recommending about eight milligrams. No one knows the dose. The studies haven't been done. But I think three milligrams makes more sense once a week, no more than once a week. And probably, we don't know what the ideal cycling time is, but it might be six weeks on, eight weeks off, or somewhere in that range. It's not something you take continuously at all. If you take it every day, you will die prematurely. There's no doubt in my mind. So you don't want to do that. But interestingly, Camberland also talked about another thing that reminded me, and again, the wrong uh, backgrounds. So the most common infection, what is the most common infection in the human race? What tissue is affected the most? What? Sinus, that's close. The teeth, yes, it's the teeth. It's periodontitis. Would you like to know how to eliminate periodontitis? <laughs> Who would like to know? All right, I'll tell you. This is from actually Tom Levy, who is one of the people who educated me about nebulized peroxide for treating viral infections. And that can be found on BitChute. If you type in Mercola and peroxide, <laughs> you'll find them there. Um, so the best way to treat it is irrigated peroxide. So you can put a little bit of ideally food grade peroxide in your dental irrigator and that will help eliminate it. It's a common, common infection and it will, it's pretty stealth too. You can, eventually it will typically tends to result in a periapical abscess around the, the base of your tooth that will require you to have your tooth extracted. You can spend a lot of time on other tooth issues. So I do not believe in root canals. Not a good thing at all. Not a good thing. Can we see slide 22? Is that a timeline for type 2 diabetes? Okay. All right, good. So my great kudos to Dave for being a leader and innovator in this space. He really was one of the first people out there on a mass scale to understand, recognize, and promote the dangers of excess omega-6 fat in your diet. It is without a doubt the most pernicious food you could possibly ever hope to eat. And it does this through a wide variety of mechanisms, primarily increasing oxidative stress. And I will give you some really good clues to understand how to minimize this threat to your health because it will take you out prematurely. And I want you to understand the influence. We've had epidemics of diseases that most people are clueless, including almost every single medical professional. They don't understand when the diseases started. Type 2 diabetes Literally 90% of the population in the U.S. is diabetic or pre-diabetic. 90%. This wasn't always like that. You can see these timelines. This is extraordinary. This is a new statistics. I just copied them from this week. They were just published. This is obesity. This is not overweight. This is obesity. 42.4% of the U.S. is obese. 
we're probably over 80% overweight. And metabolically inflexible is in 90%. But if the actual percentage in 1900, 1.2%. If you've ever looked at old photo pictures, or even in the 60s, look at the progression there. It's just gone straight up. And there's no doubt in my mind this is related to linoleic acid. Now, I don't know what happened to the slides again, and I'm, not, I'm sorry to perpetuate that, but there's supposed to be one here about heart disease. Heart disease follows the same pattern and cancer. They're identical. They did not exist prior to the mid-1850s. They, they weren't there. That's true for an age-related macular degeneration. These were unknown in the human race. So what caused it? Was it excess carbs, as many people, not many natural medical physicians believe? No, it was not excess carbs. Does that mean you can eat as much carbs as you want? No, you have to figure that out and get the right amount. But it was related to the other elephant in the room, which is the fact that healthy traditional populations to this day and prior to 1850 only had a half to 1.7 of their diet is linoleic acid. Linoleic acid is the most common omega-6 fat. It is 100% unessential, despite the fact to tell you it is. The reason why is they call it an essential fat, it isn't because if you eat food, you, it's in there. There's virtually no foods that don't have linoleic acid. So if you're, unless you choose to starve yourself to death, you're not going to die of linoleic acid deficiency. It's in every food. It's impossible to avoid. You can't, unlike omega-3, which is very clearly going to be a problem. So if you look at some of these statistics, and you do, these are fat biopsies that were done with linoleic acid in the fat tissue. And there was 9% in 1959, and this is a somewhat of a day that I couldn't find a more recent result, 21%. 21%. And this only goes back to 59. It was probably, we don't have data. They weren't doing fat biopsies back then. But it was probably about 1%. Because if that's all you're eating in your diet, that's what's going to be in your tissues, right? So 21% of your fat is in LSA. So you're going from 1%, literally a 20-fold increase. But what ultimately results when you have this excess linoleic acid in your diet is this mitochondrial dysfunction and energy failure. And it may seem like spending a lot of time on this, but this is actually one of my next books. I have to actually two books coming out, uh, COVID Part 2, Truth About COVID Part 2, which is going to probably be out early next year. And then this book will follow that shortly. So that's the way it ruins your health is it leads to mitochondrial dysfunction and ultimately mitochondrial failure. So what is the highest source of seed oils in your diet? Here are some examples. What do you think? Let's see, here's what you're thinking because it's important. To, and I just gave you the broad overview of the context that this is clearly the most pernicious thing you could ever hope to put into your body on a consistent basis. There is nothing nothing that will destroy your health quicker than excess linoleic acid. Nothing. And I hope you get that at a deep level because it will profoundly change the, your health and the health of the people you love. So what do you think the highest source is? 
Because the devil's in the details. Canola. That's a good, good question. You're going to be surprised at the answer to this. Well, I heard someone say it. Chicken. It's chicken. Chicken is the number one source of linoleic acid in the U.S. diet. Chicken. The health food. Now, interestingly, if you're going to eat chicken, the white chicken breast, the low fat is actually better because it has less linoleic acid. But ultimately, you don't want to eat chicken. Chicken is a terrible food. If you've ever read the history of it, it was completely commercially industrialized. It was never, you couldn't eat, people never ate chicken. There's some fascinating books, and I forgot the titles of them that they, they, they went on. But that you just don't want to eat chicken. Also, it's probably the most significant variable why women be develop recurrent urinary tract infections. Because almost all commercial chickens are contaminated with salmonella. And you bring raw chicken into your, into your home, and it just spreads on the countertops and all over. So you just do not want to eat chicken. It should be in your X list. Second to that would be pork. This is the mechanism of why excess linoleic acid is so dangerous. It causes the oxidative stress, which contributes to oxidative metabolites of linoleic acid, things like 4-HNE, oxlams. Um, ages would be advanced glycation end products related to carbohydrates, but when you do that with lipids, it's called advanced lipoxation end products. Forget the acronym for it, but it's, that's what it is. So leads to mitochondrial dysfunction, failure, and insulin resistance. So let's get back to what the list is, which chicken and pork, almost any olive oil and avocado oils should be avoided. Now, normally they're thought of as health foods, right? Gundry's big on on olive oil too. Um, But it has a significant amount of linoleic acid in it. But even worse is 80% of the... uh, avocado oil and olive oils are in the U.S. are adulterated. They're expensive to get high-quality ones, and they substitute or pour in things like safflower oil, which is 70% linoleic acid. So you can be almost 100% guaranteed that any restaurant, certainly a restaurant in a hotel like this, is that any olive oil is going to be adulterated. They can't afford to serve you $50 a quart olive oil. But even if you had the really fine, high-quality olive oil, you still want to limit it to about a tablespoon a day, not much more. It's not something you want to take in excess. You're going to have radical amounts of increased linoleic acid. So all processed food. And here's the thing that includes all seeds and nuts. And this is the, this is the remember, the devil's in the details. And virtually no one I know on a regular basis, when I go to events, I try to engage with many people. No one I know understands, and these are pretty high-end health events, that any sauce at a restaurant is dangerous. Any sauce. 100% guaranteed is going to be with vegetable oil. You cannot ask the waiter. The waiter doesn't know. He can go get the manager. He can get the head chef. They don't know. So on a similar note, you want to avoid any pastries. It's not that pastries are bad, but any commercially prepared pastry, like a cake, would be a classic example. Donuts, obviously, you know, would be terrible. French fries. But 
they're, they're using vegetable oil. They, you could make a healthy cake if you use butter. Butter is an acceptable fat. It has very, very low levels of linoleic acid. So butter is what you want to use. So if you're going to use any fat or oil in a restaurant setting, either bring your own butter, BYOB, <laughs> or don't use it. Don't use it. Don't use it. Um, now, there is an application. Oh, when you go on a low linoleic acid diet, which is, which is what ideally I hope I encourage all of you to start, it's going to take you seven years to metabolize that out of your diet, which is another reason why it's so dangerous. You go on a sugar binge, it's gone, right? It does not hang around. Linoleic acid is about seven years before you can get out of your body. Seven years. It gets integrated into all your cell membranes. That's why you want to be OCD on steroids on this. So if you really want to know the details, you can use an application that's free on the desktop. It's called Chronometer, C-R-O-N-O-M-E-T-E-R.com. And you can enter with a kitchen digital scale very accurately your foods. And once you do that, you will find the specific percentage in your diet of the omega-6 fat. There is a section that calls, says omega-6 fat. And again, 90%. 80% of the omega-6 fat is linoleic acid. So you can look at this and actually measure to pretty precise educated guesses what the linoleic acid is in your diet. You want to get this, the lower the better, probably five, six grams, certainly under 10. The average person is probably eating 50, 70 grams. And it will ruin, it will ruin your health. So what are some other things you can do to stay healthy? So we're going to talk about EMF in the next section. It's my tent. Uh, I've got four minutes left and some change. So I want to remind you that um, you can sign up for our newsletter still. Yeah, it's, it's been crazy good. I, I am so absolutely delighted to have been given the opportunity to participate in a leadership position to help bring us out of this mess. And I, I am just excited to understand these basic principles we've re I've just reviewed with you and implemented in my life to provide a level of resiliency to this type of challenge. I appreciate all your support, all your help, all your participation, because it takes, it takes a village and you guys are absolutely part of it. And I, my deepest appreciation for all those who've come up and expressed their gratitude. This guy's a legend, absolute legend. Thank you for showing up the way you do, my friend. You're Always welcome. Always for decades and not backing down. It takes a special kind of energy to do that, and, uh, and you've got it. Oh, thank you so much. It's a privilege. Have a seat, guys. Meter. Go, go get it. I must say, you just don't want to. I'm just gonna, you know. <laughs> he I forgot his meter. He wanted to show it. Want oh, his, there? his meter. Um, Joe can sit there. You sit there, and that's good. Okay. 
And guys, I found out something at this conference that's just been driving me nuts. I apparently have oddly shaped ears because my mic has fallen out like 7,000 times. And it's not my favorite thing right now. I'm like, Gah. But I'm going to just persevere the way Cat Hoke taught us to. Because I am enough. <laughs> All right, got your meter? Yes, indeed. All right. The thing about biohacking that's so annoying is that it's not just one thing. Like, there's so many things that, that make a difference, so many things that could work, and knowing which one is the right one and how much time and energy to put on it. Is it omega-6? I think Joe's on to something there. <laughs> You're the leader. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you don't want to eat that stuff, at least not very much of it. And EMFs are a part of it. I was really worried when we were putting together the EMF uh, or the, the story of biohacking, the universe of things. I, I put EMFs and earthing and stuff in there. And like, are people going to think this is like tinfoil hat? Because when you're starting a movement, you don't want to have the absolute crazy stuff, even if it's real. Because you can introduce it over time as credibility and momentum grows. So believe it or not, they're there's an architected way of introducing uh, these ideas. Because if it came out that biohacking is a bunch of people who like inject cell phones into their blood and wear tinfoil hats, it's over, right? And we're not that. So EMFs have been there. And over the past 10 years, more and more evidence has come out. Not stuff you're going to see if you use Google necessarily, uh, because Google doesn't uh, fairly represent results anymore but stuff that you will see, especially internationally, like like thousand plus study kind of stuff. So I want to do a panel on that. And I've got a couple experts here. There is uh, this guy next to me who needs no introduction and Nick Cano. Uh, Nick is an expert in the field and he knows a lot about how EMFs mess with your, uh, with your, or your field and your biology. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions as a moderator of the panel. And I know a thing or two about this as well, so I might interject, but I'm going to do my best to be an impartial moderator. And Nick, let me ask you, sure. top three ways, relatively short panel, so top three ways the EMFs harm biology, the mechanisms of action. Number one, I would say oxidative stress, excessive because of our 24-7 exposure. You know, you have uh, many technologies in there at the biohacking conference that uh, are hormetic stressors. So you stress the body a little bit, and then you recover from it. The benefits are seen when you recover. When it comes to EMFs, it's 24-7 unabated exposure that we're getting. So it's oxidative damage that's created all the time. Uh, that would be number one. Over time, what this creates, I think, is, is really the the views of uh, repair that the body needs to do. Um, Dr. Mercola taught me about the, PAR, the PARP family of enzymes and how it depletes your mitochondria over time. Uh, so that would be it. And I would say depletion also of antioxidants, glutathione, SOD, dismutase. So overall, it just makes you weaker over time when you're exposed all the time. Okay, Joe. Any other perspectives on just mechanisms of action? There's, there's people in the audience who are skeptical that they probably have, you know, their eye, whatever, ear pods. Uh, yeah, yeah. They might even be in right now secretly. 
So what other, <laughs> what other except you'd shame them, but <laughs> what, uh, what other mechanisms might there be? Well, we don't know for sure, but most likely it's related to excess oxidative stress, as Nick mentioned. Um, and the damage of that is, is that, uh, or the concern for that is that it tends to deplete important biomolecules like NAD because the PARP, that, which is poly-ADP ripose polymerase, that is activated when you're exposed to these excess, excessive stressors consumes 150 molecules of NAD for every time PARP is activated. And that's a lot of NAD. But as I mentioned, uh, become somewhat disenchanted with NAD. I think it's important, but I, I don't think... The problem with NAD and the measurements you're looking at is Nicola Condon understands very well is because he's one of the few researchers that actually measures it. It's one of the most enormously challenging biomolecules to measure. You have to use this really sophisticated mass spec and that NAD molecule is incredibly perishable. So unless you are, you almost have to use a refrigerated centrifuge to get it down because by the time you centrifuged it down and separated it out, it's, it's diminished. So it's really, really, really hard to measure NAD levels accurately, which causes a lot of confusion. But I, but I think because of that, I become somewhat disenchanted with the value of it, but nev not with the processes that we know to optimize NAD. As I mentioned, the resistance okay. training is so critical. 20 to 30 times increase is amazing. So, but, but you still, the other way is to limit exposures that consume NAD. And I think right. continuous... EMF exposure is, a, is really a foolish, dangerous innovation. And I, I don't know at one point, but I think I want to show you one simple way, especially when you're traveling like this. I, I brought a show. Why don't you show us now? Because it's actually, yeah, that's it, it's a cool thing. So and, actually, I might, just because this is a, two, is Carlin here? Carlin, are you still here? Do you need help setting it up? She's somewhere else. Okay, I would, well, I have to put you in because this is a this is a tent. I de I developed this tent. Couldn't believe it or not, guys. There are a lot of CEOs who don't actually do anything. Um, Dr. Mercola is not one of those. Cases yeah, I assigned it out and delegated, but I realized you couldn't do that. You know, because they didn't. If a guy, he just didn't understand it. So I said it has to be simple and convenient. So obviously, it's really light, right? Convenient. It, if you have a significantly sized piece of luggage, you can check it so it doesn't get damaged. So it comes with this cover, and it comes with a, uh, a piece of plastic to protect it because the material is silver, 100% silver. And the fun part is when you go out and just look, it's like a jack-in-the-box. So, Nick, why don't you jump inside? What... what Carlin, Carlin, are you here? My microphone is going to cut off. Well, if well, you do my microphone's going to cut off, and I'm going to be fried. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What? You're expendable. <laughs> <laughs> expendable. <laughs> no, but take one for the team. All right, walk yeah. it off. But you, I want to give a shout out though, uh, Doc, to uh, Brian Hoyer from Shielded Healing. Yeah, uh, who he, helped me develop the tent. Yeah, yeah. And he couldn't be here today on this panel. He's, he was so, supposed to be, but he got sick. So if something happens, I did not sign any anything prior to that. Okay. So it was a oh. All right, go inside. Put your head towards the, the, oh. the top. Yeah, <clears throat> like this. Going, yeah. And By the way, guys, I I should tell you, he got sick not with the symptoms of COVID. 
but out of an abundance of respect for you guys and like let's not go on the panel. No, you're going to have to close this on the inside. Yes. So, but but not all the way because I want to show this. It's pretty impressive. This is what I slept in last night. So I sleep in every night I'm traveling. Does it smell funny? No, there's no there should no, I don't think so. All right, now try, try to put the try to put the magnets together. The problem Brian Hoyer figured this thing out. I'm sorry? My mic doesn't pick up now. It That's works. fine. No, I know it doesn't. You guys hear you just said my mic doesn't pick up now. But but it's still not closed yet. But I want to show this is really impressive, which is why I had my security guy go back and get my meter. Can you hear that? That's 165 yeah. microwatts per meter squared. That's the radio frequency exposure right now on my body. 168, 130. All right, so we're going to put it in here. What, what's the number? What's the number? Well, I, I still not closed yet. Close it up. Put the, put, put the magnets. Make sure the magnets are covered. Uh, uh, Nick, on the inside, are they covered? Uh, all the way down by your feet? You've got to get the magnets up. Yeah, here? Okay, yeah. Well, you can pin... Oh, your transmitter is causing. Hold up, yes. hold on. Yeah, the AV guys are. Yeah, no wonder. So this, this should have been a lot higher. Here, give me your trans. Take it off. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll take well, it off. while they're doing that, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a couple things here. Okay. Oh, did okay. you get it? Is it off? There you go. Yeah. Just yeah. Hand it, hand you it can't up. put the transmitter yeah. in at the same time and expect okay. it to be low. You can't. You can't. In other words, you can't enter with your cell phone in <laughs> your cage. Okay. Okay, what is, the, what is the reading? 0 0.1. 0 0.1. Okay. Folks, okay. All right, you come out and put your mic on, and they give your perspective as someone who does this on a regular basis, unlike me who does it part-time. Uh, all right, come on out. Okay. So that is an over a 99.9% .9 reduction. Okay. <laughs> He's stuck. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not perfect, but it works. It, thank you. Thank you. What is the most important time Whew. to have the lowest exposure to radio frequencies? And this is just not radio frequencies. On the top, there's a device that you can connect it into the grounding system. So there's no electric fields and there's no radio frequency fields. The most important time of the day to have the lowest exposure you could possibly hope for is when you are sleeping in repair and regeneration mode. So this is ideally something, I mean, my home is shielded, so the levels are the same in my bedroom, so I don't need this tent. But when I travel, I travel with it. I will not travel without this tent. So it took us a long time to figure it out, we did. I'm grateful. So it's available for people. Um, That's an and I think product. it's probably one of the single... What, what's your perspective on sleeping at night? Well, you know, the number one time, like you mentioned, is, is at night simply because Both this is when the body tries to go parasympathetic and you want to repair. 
And many people forget that uh, I've heard the arguments, you know, when I started my work back in 2016 around EMFs, I've heard, okay, well, we're getting EMFs from space. And yes, we're even getting radio waves, e even in the same ranges of your cell phone from space, although not at the same power. The average power in this room is a quintillion times higher than ancestral background which levels. Is a which is a billion billion. A billion billions. So we're not talking about the same, the same quantity at all. So this is really why what we're doing with shielding yourself at night, whether it's through the use of something like that, or uh, for example, you could create an entire enclosure, a shielded room using a special carbon base paint or a Faraday canopy over your bed. And this is really, uh, unfortunately, Brian couldn't be here, but uh, he's still at his booth, Shielded Healing. Check it out. And there's even an EMF free tent. His booth here, too. Uh, there, there's an entire booth there where he explains how to shield your home and he can do these testing with his company. But the, the benefit is not adding something to your life. It's merely going back to the way things were when things were not as bad for human health, 1950, yeah. 1930. We didn't have these exposures and only military personnel in 1950 were exposed to that stuff. Nowadays, it's everyone, so. Because in about 15 years ago, I built a Faraday cage. The place where I was staying in uh, Palo Alto didn't have an office. I'm like, I'll build an office in the garage. And I made it fully isolated from EMFs. And I'd go in there and you turn off everything when I wasn't doing office-like stuff. And I would have, uh, I would meditate, and it, you meditate differently when there's no EMFs. You can actually feel it if you're an experienced meditator. And I did all the ozone therapy uh, that really helped me recover from toxic molds and make my, made my brain work better without EMFs. And it, here's my problem, guys. Yeah. Okay. I already don't eat omega-6s. I avoid mycotoxins in moldy environments. I do all kinds of crazy stuff that we've all talked about. Uh, by the way, all the, the stuff that uh, Joe was just talking about there is, uh, you know, we, we have very similar practices for advanced anti-aging, but we're all using wireless equipment right now. And wireless stuff is kind of useful. And I got that text from my daughter this morning. It was wireless. And one time I actually did text Dr. Mercola and he responded. <laughs> the rest of the time, he only does email what? because he's the most religious guy I know about this. But how do we balance risk and reward of EMFs? That, that is an excellent question. There's no, no doubt about it because th that is the danger of this EMF this experience in that it's so damn convenient. It's so easy. It makes life so much easier. But you have to, have to understand no matter how easy or convenient it is, it doesn't mitigate the fact that we've had a billion, billion which is a pretty damn big number, increase in exposure. And we have no freaking idea of the long-term damage. None. Zero. Studies have never been done. This is like smoking in the 1950s. And many of you remember the Twilight Zone. And you would see Rod Serling come on, even Mike Wallace when he was doing some of his early interviews. They were smoking continuously. No one had any clue of the long-term dangers. It's so similar to tobacco. Un un the parallels are incredible. They even use the same advertising firms. So it's, it's, it's so similar in the fact that industry is, to is totally uh, captured the federal regulatory agencies. So there's no one's looking out for your public health. No one, no one, no one is looking out for you.
at least when tobacco, we had the Surgeon General come out in the 70s, say, and even then with the Surgeon General saying it was bad for your health, and a large number of physicians even explained it, it still took another 30 years before. I can remember so clearly in the 90s when they had the tobacco industry CEO saying, no, nicotine's not addictive. No, nic- smoking doesn't cause cancer. They lie in through <laughs> their teeth. It's the same thing, if not worse. Yeah. This is it's magnified because it's only gotten better at the system. And the other analogy is it doesn't hit you right away. You're looking at a 10, 20, 30, 40-year exposure that's required before it, causes, it takes you out prematurely. So is it inconvenient? Hell yes. I mean, I, I'm like the only one I know that doesn't take text. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> is that, I, if someone can text me, but I might not read it for two or three weeks by when I turn my phone on, you know? But, you know, I'm, I'm getting a new iPhone 13 Pro Max. I think the battery should last me a month on one charge. <laughs> a month. That's the other benefit, you know? You don't use a lot of battery when your phone's not on. So... Uh, but it does. It is. It is somewhat inconvenient. There's no question. But right. it's. It's. What do you want? Right. So you do as much as you're comfortable and careful with. But you know, if you're an OCD like me, you do. You do it as much as you can because. And and it's. It's not like it have to be. You can never be 100 percent because there's just so much exposure. So I think some minor exposure intermittently is probably hermetically beneficial. That's my yeah. belief. Some people don't believe that. I believe it probably Nick, is probably yeah. is. Are you in alignment with that? Uh, yeah, and I, I would add something. You, you, you shouldn't really throw your hands up in the air and say, well, we're exposed anyway, right? I'm going to a yeah. conference, everyone has a phone. Sure, this weekend is not necessarily your, your best weekend when it comes to EMF exposure. However, when you're back home and you control your environment, this is way different. In your office environment, it's way different you also. you control it here. So you, <laughs> you should control what you can control, starting with the bedroom first and then the second room where you spend the most time for me it would be my office space so if you have an office space like me most people have a lot of people work from home nowadays you have a computer in front of you and you're on wi-fi blasting your head basically how many hours per week 40 to more if you're a ceo and work way too much times a lifetime and that's a problem overall cumulative exposure so what you should aim to do is to not have Wi-Fi on that computer. You turn off the Wi-Fi function, you turn yeah. off Bluetooth, and you have an Ethernet cable that's still feasible with any computer. Just and have the converter between USB-C and Ethernet. you have a phone, you don't Ethernet. keep it on when it's in your pocket, like Dave did See, for many same years. Thing. And he winds so, up getting a bone scan and showing his bone density decrease where he was putting his phone on. It, it's true, guys. I've known yeah. some, the fertility books. Like, <laughs> if you put your phone here, the phone's next to your junk. Uh, maybe you call it something more sexy than that. But, uh, by the way, that's a panel later today. <laughs> and that's bad, and there's actually really good studies. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to wear pants with, uh, like, cargo pants, like the cool pants I wore yesterday. Just put the phone here. Do that for five years, and then get a bone density scan, and right where the phone is all the time, there's 15% lower density on this femur than this femur. Guess what drives bone density? Mitochondrial function. Yep. So there's some pretty good evidence for this, but damn, I like using my phone all that time. So yeah. yeah, now I put my phone in airplane mode and I have better discipline. But let me ask you guys whether you'd support this. Mm-hmm. 20% of the damage from EMFs is from people worrying about EMFs triggering their fight or flight state, yeah. like orthorexia, but for EMFs, EMForexia. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, stress is a huge component. So yeah. you take as much as you're willing to do 
and relax about it. There's never any reason to get distressed about it if you can't. I agree. But, but why in hell would you put an AirPod in your ear? That makes See, no that's sense. just dumb. That's just SOS. It's it, stupid. Except if there's an interview and it's going to help a lot of people and you have one hour of it, it's not going to kill you. No, it won't. Okay, and if you act like it's going to kill you, then people are like, do you want a tinfoil hat to go with the side of crazy? And, and you don't need to do that to yourself. So my deal is anytime, anytime you can minimize, you should minimize, right? right? But if it happens that you get some EMFs, it's not the end of the world. And to the point that they've never been tested, think about tobacco. Think about glyphosate. <laughs> think about any technology that we roll out to almost all of the surface of the planet or to 100% of the population, which means you don't have a control group anymore because everyone has it. Perhaps making permanent changes to the surface of the planet or to our gene line or to the gene line of any animal that we manage or plant for that matter, we ought to really do the work before we roll everything out. And no one did the work for this. I have asked the CTOs of four of the largest telecommunications companies in the world, like CTO of Samsung kind of people, whose responsibility is it to make sure that blue lights on VR goggles and EMFs don't affect brain function? And these four multi-billion dollar CTOs all look at each other and go, not ours. They didn't know the answer. The answer is it's no one's because your government sure as hell is looking out for you. Maybe if you're in Sweden, they are. Otherwise, no, they aren't. So this means we must hold ourselves and our companies accountable for the technology. Just to the points you guys are saying, I don't always travel with one of these. You I will. I've traveled. Send you one. So. Make sure it's long. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's good. <laughs> so, but I, flexible. I truly, Just like everyone should be flexible. Yeah. Boom. On a trip like this, absolutely, I would do it. If it was a quick overnighter, no. If I lived in New York City, you have to do this. You have to do the other things like that um, that you just talked about with paint and all that. Yeah. What I'd like to do now, though, is we have a couple microphone stands. Where are they? Look for the lights in the room. We have time for Q&A, about 15 minutes. So at the end of 15 minutes, we'll cut off the mics, and I'll just call someone. So there's one there, one there, one there. You just get up, go to the mic, stand there in line if you want, and we'll do our best to rotate through. I see someone at the green one. I have a quick question, obvious one. So I live in Miami, and we have 5G towers literally every 100 meters or so. And I believe some of them are already on. So what do I do about 5G towers? Or how to live? Are they dangerous? The 5G towers. Oh, 5G towers. Well, to my knowledge, they're not widely implemented at this point. It, there in may Miami, be in, he says. I know in Miami, they may be. But most of the implementation is kind of flawed. And it's just like a marketing gimmick at this point. Yeah. Uh, you may know better. Nick, you can probably follow us a little more carefully. But I don't think... If they are, I don't think there's any major urban area that has it widely deployed. If it's just small pockets. Uh, so it's coming, but it's yeah. not here yet. But most of what is used with 5G is identical or very close to what is used with 4G and 3G. So it, and 5G means fifth generation. To me, it, there's been a lot of hype, you know, around on the internet about 5G and the fact that it's so much more dangerous than previous technologies. We don't know that. I, I just can tell you that it's more of a bad thing. Before I wrote my book and I started my work in 2016, I was already, or at the beginning of my research, I was already extremely concerned. 5G was around. Uh, and already that stuff was a concern for human health. So uh, if you are exposed to any tower and to 
very, very close to your home, for example, you should consider hiring um, an EMF mitigation specialist such as Shielded, uh, healing. Shielded healing, great company, Building Biologists Who has a booth also. In this? And, and, and check it out. Check out what are the levels coming into your home. And then, of course, inside your home, do what you can. Turn up the Wi-Fi at night and such. Yeah, but the other thing, too, is I've looked at this pretty carefully. It's most likely that the damage from the frequencies is at 900 megahertz. And 5G is like in the 30 gigahertz range or so, so 50 gigahertz. So it's, it's, because of its high frequency, it's unable to penetrate building materials as easily. That's why they need so many damn towers. So you can, it's much easier to shield against. And it may not be anywhere near as dangerous as 900 megahertz, which is hopefully none of you have the cordless phone. There's just no excuse for that thing to exist in your house. So a cordless phone is probably one of the most dangerous. Just to have a cell phone tower in your house is, that's actually more dangerous than the, than the 4G, the 3G and the 4G. Beautiful. What is 900 megahertz? 2G? Um, yeah, well, at the moment, the 5G is actually starting to be in the 500, no. 600 megahertz. No, but okay. the 900 megahertz, so that would, what, is that a 2G generation? Like older generation. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 that is a, so that's the sweet spot that gets in and causes the most biological. It's like your grandparents' cordless phones yeah. at the beginning. Those were best, so bad. We're, so we're going to do rapid-fire answers as much as we can because there's a whole bunch of questions. I see over okay. on the red mic. Nick, thank you for your book. Uh, it's very easy to read and follow. Um, but my question, my question is, uh, what are your thoughts on like a stainless steel shooter wiring uh, or co shielding for your wiring inside a house versus like carbon uh, paint for protection? Uh, carbon paint will block the uh, ambient wireless from towers. So that's one type of frequency it will block. Whereas when you're talking about uh, putting all your wiring inside metal uh, clad tubing that would block the electrical fields, uh, they are both techniques that can be useful in, in, inside the home. When you have a shielded room with paint, usually you would, uh, you would ground the paint itself to eliminate the electrical field. So the, 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 the metal clad wiring is a bit advanced, but this is what's used in hotels and in industrial settings. So if I would build from scratch, I would use it personally, uh, can, but yeah. I can tell you from, we use quite a bit in aerospace engineering for our grounding and protection of our wiring for our aircraft. So something that I use from our, our experience in certification of aircraft. That, that's worth a connection offline. We're gonna do rapid fire awesome. fast answers as much as we can, which is tough because it's a complex subject. So where did green, red, let's do uh, pink, purple, whatever that color is. Um, uh, this is for Dr. Mercola. Hopefully this is the, an appropriate question right now. But if you were kind of backed into a corner and had to get a COVID vaccine for an employer, is there anything you recommend that you can maybe do to mitigate some of the damage that the vaccine may have done? That's an easy question. Okay. You find a new job. <laughs> so, you know, why would you take the bullet? You got to steadfast. It's going to, there's going to be cost to this. There's going to be a lot more cost. That was a rapid fire answer if there ever was one. <laughs> <laughs> and let's do it. No one's at the blue mic. So let's go back to the green one. Hi, uh, Dr. Mercola. Your book is a fantastic tool in this war that we have with uh, big pharma universities, medical institutions. Are there other, other tools you can think of to help people in the audience in their personal battles, whether it's at work? Or with friends at work or otherwise, what? How do we win this war? 
How do we win? What are the tools? We need many, many, many tools. Well, there's a simple answer. We don't know. We don't know what, what they're throwing. We, no. we, we don't know what they're throwing at us. It's changing every day almost. So I would strongly suggest to follow people you trust. I think I'm one of them. Robert Kennedy's Children's Defense Fund does an, an unbelievable job. Uh, his book, his new book on COVID coming out uh, called The Real Tony Fauci is a, unbelievable. It's 700 pages. It's crazy good. It's coming out in November. Um, so just keep, we don't know. And I'm, that's the honest truth. There is no way to figure, we're going to evolve the, the solution over time. And, and we will win. The, the model of war and battle, if you listen to your words, three times. Very binary, opposing, combative. People don't have to fight to win, mm -hmm. right? If the reality that you are in is not the same as those people or companies or, or forces or maybe AI algorithms, who the hell knows, you can choose to fight or you can say, oh, no, I'm not fighting. It doesn't mean you can't trip them when they walk past you. There's a long history of resistance. In fact, the founding fathers of the United States knew exactly how that worked, right? They beat a much bigger military, a much bigger Navy, a much bigger army over and over because they were sneaky bastards. Yeah. So then after your war, you're simply going to live your life and you're going to live your life, not the one they're trying to make you live where you're fighting them because you have more important things to do. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And to be, to not ever use violence, not ever use violence, but massive civil disobedience, somewhat similar to what Gandhi did. But you got to stand up and we've got to be in community. No question. I th this isn't that EMF related, but I, there's a little side thing there. I've studied peaceful resistance. No peaceful resistance movement has ever succeeded in all of history without a small, very violent faction on the wings because the people in power are afraid all the peaceful people are going to turn violent. So I don't want anyone in this room to be one of the violent people. Mm -hmm. There will be crazy people protecting their rights, you doing bad things to bad people if they don't stop. It's just not going to be any of us. Yeah. So don't go there because it's not going to be pretty. But in order for our peaceful resistance to work, someone somewhere is going to get really angry, probably when someone in their family gets killed by a forced thing. That's why we don't force people to do things because they have pitchforks. And all of history has proven that. And it's always going to be that way. You don't have to carry a pitchfork. You just have to stand there and they know you could. And that's what it's about. Couldn't agree more. All right, let's go to the red mic. Hey, how you doing? So my question is, since we're talking about frequencies, which ones or range of frequencies do you think are harmful and why? I, I don't think it's a matter of the frequency per se, but uh, it's a matter of how artificial a frequency is. You know, th there are natural frequencies being emitted in the entire spectrum on the planet, if you take sunlight, you have in the hundreds of gigahertz, hundreds of times higher frequency than even 5G that everyone's so afraid about, right? So, but this is natural frequencies with certain characteristics that are biocompatible. 
So it's not a matter in the Shali of frequency. I would say when it's unnatural, when it's, it's generated by humans and optimized just for connectivity like cell phones and Wi-Fi and cell towers, you can consider it unsafe unless proven otherwise. And for the moment, the science is showing harm. So you should err on the safe side of things. So it's really more of a, a matter of how unnatural and not uh, the frequency uh, in particular. Beautiful. Thank you. Let's see. So I'm trying to do this in an algorithmically good way. Let's do pink. Question. Uh, I'm a practicing ER physician, and I have to thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for me and the hundreds of thousands of physicians that are trying our best to do what we can for the patients and, and use good, rational medicines, science-based, real science-based medicine. Dr. McCullough and you, for the uh, Dave, for the conference. Um, and I, let me just just say that there's more people. If we just stand up and say no, there's enough of us, the government's going to be afraid of us. We just have to stand up and say no. No lockdowns, no masks, no vaccines. You can, shoot, you can wear masks if you want. You can wear vaccines if you want, but no. Anyways, thank you. <laughs> All right, let's move on to green. All right, Dr. Mercola, you've mentioned this before on Dave's podcast, but about molecular hydrogen mm -hmm. and pulsing it. So I figured for the benefit of everybody here to hear that. And also, I do own one of those tents. All right. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it is a way to address the excessive oxidative stress. There's not a finer antioxidant intervention than molecular hydrogen because it's hormetic. And it's selective. So that if you don't have an excessive oxidative stress, if you're living at my house, and your your radio frequency exposure is minimized. You don't you you're not going to need a lot of glutathione and SOD and catalase to protect you and other antioxidants. So you, you can the way molecular hydrogen works is it activates the NRF2 pathway, which causes the signals to go to the DNA to create these things if they're needed, and only if they're needed. Which is why it's so damn safe, and why I take it every day. But you don't want to take it continuously because it says it's really clear. If you really drink hydrogen water all day long, it's not going to work. You need a pulse. So I only pulse mine once a day. You could take it twice a day. But I think you're out of your mind if you don't take it when you're traveling, you know, like maybe 20 minutes before you take off. It, it is just crazy good. We've got time for one more question. Let's, I think it's all the way off to red. Oh, thanks. I was at the last biohacking conference and, and Dr. Mercola's talk he suggested putting um, your iPhone in airplane mode to reduce the EMF. Someone in the tech call just told me that Apple's changed the iPhones and that even if you put it in airplane mode now, you're getting just as much EMF. I want to know. No, if that's, that's not true. true. No, but you do. There's the location services that you also have. There's another antenna that emits, so it has to be off too. Which, but got to put it back on when you want to get a ride hailing app working. Uh, but no, it's you can measure this. What? You just these these here's meters what, aren't terribly expensive. You can measure yourself. You, you have to rely on someone giving you hearsay. There's a little bit more detail to it. If it's actually airplane mode with Wi-Fi all the way off and Bluetooth and Bluetooth off, yes, it's not go. going to be emitting very much at all. But if you swipe down and hit the Wi-Fi button and it turns white and it says it's temporarily disabled Wi-Fi connectivity for the next 24 hours that's bullshit because it's still sitting there transmitting on wi-fi and pinging everything everywhere and using it for location data 
and reporting what you're doing and where you're doing, but you're just not able to connect to it. So the thing is you have to go into settings and turn off Wi-Fi if you want it to really work. And that's probably and, what And measure, about. measure. Get these devices. There's a lot of them out there. I do not – every night before I go to bed, I measure the RF in my, in my room because I maybe forgot to put my airplane – my phone in – turn it in airplane, authentic airplane mode. And this will tell me. I don't slip up. This is my backup. You just measure it. You've got to measure it. There's no excuse not to. They're cheap. They're $100, $200. All right. I, we answered all the questions we had time for. So if you're still staying at a microphone, thank you for formulating a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Gratitude, my friends. Can you okay. join me in thanking our panelists, Dr. Mercola, Nick Pinot? <laughs> thank you. Thank you.